A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie. Friday morning, the 1st of March. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reid on LMFM. Next week, 113 bedrooms in Drogheda's D Hotel are due to become home to 500 people who are seeking international protection in Ireland. The D Hotel in Drogheda, as the whole country knows, has 113 bedrooms and it's the only hotel in Drogheda town right now open to new guests apart from the 16-bedded Scholars Town House. The decision to take over the D Hotel Minister was your decision. It was made without consultation. And to put 500 IP applicants into the hotel was done uh, by you. And you have to be held accountable for that. Uh, because people are very angry, dismayed. Not because IP applicants are coming to Drogheda, but because you're taking from us our only hotel. That's the key point. This is Finnegale TD, Fergus O'Dowd, who took Roderick O'Gorman to task in the Dáil yesterday over the Minister's decision to use the D Hotel to house International Protection Applicants, or IP applicants, as you'll hear the refugees described by the politicians. Minister O'Gorman took O'Dowd's criticism on the chin yesterday, but throughout the tense debate, the Minister remained calm and unrepentant. Thank you, uh, thank you very much, Deputy, and Thanks for uh, your ongoing engagement and that of the other local TDs on this matter. As you know, Ireland's now accommodating over 10,000 people between those fleeing the war in Ukraine and international protection applicants. Um, The system, our accommodation system, is under real pressure right now with all the limited accommodation capacity in the IPAS system being used and given the significantly increased number of arrivals in the context of accommodation shortages, my department has no option but to use all offers of accommodation made to us to address this accommodation shortfall. And this has, of course, necessitated opening accommodation across the country. We've seen particular pressure in recent weeks, uh, particularly in terms of uh, the availability of family accommodation, and that's required us to maximise the number of available beds for families. The alternative is that we will see families, we will see female applicants left homeless, and that's the decision that I'm left in. So that's what should happen. But... Did it happen? Does the D have the necessary fire certificate? As you know, my department contacted yourself and other local TDs on the 14th of February to inform you that we were planning to use this accommodation. Subsequent to that, the community engagement team issued a briefing to TDs, to senators, to councillors. They have met with Loud County Council officials. They've met with the Community Response Forum. And I've met with yourself, other TDs, the... um, 
county councillors representing Drogheda, urban and rural, and with the um, the local chamber of commerce as well. Well, that's that then. The D Hotel has the fire certificate it needs to house refugees, or at least that's what the minister says. Fergus O'Dowd says the minister is wrong. So what did you say in your statement? On the 13th of February, you said all statutory requirements relating to the establishment and management of emergency accommodation are being met by service provider, including health and safety, fire, building regulations and other requirements. In an answer to me on the 12th of the 12th, 2023, you said... Uh, the local authority has a regulatory role, role in relation to properties being brought on stream to verify that they meet the required building, planning and fire safety regulations. Once all the documentation is received, the department continues to engage with the appropriate fire cert authorities to ensure fire certification is up to date and once evidence of sign-off is received from the relevant authorities and provided to the department, a contract is signed for the use of that property. No such document was received by you or your department from the local authority. And that is a fact. Indeed, we spoke to the Chief Fire Officer in County Louth yesterday about this. Eamon Wolfe told us he couldn't agree to doing an interview about the fire certificate as it was an ongoing issue and discussions with the D are ongoing. With respect to the fire search, the department seeks evidence of compliance with fire safety standards when appraising all offers of accommodation. And the production of this evidence is mandatory and the local authority holds the remit for assessing compliance with fire safety and for enforcing the regulations around the same. Where there is notification of possible non-compliance to the department, we immediately engage with the contractor of the property whose responsibility is to ensure their premises meets the required standards. They engage directly with the local authority on the issue and the department requests evidence that the matter has been resolved to the satisfaction of the local authority. How odd. That really is very strange. And I understand that the provider is engaging with the fire officer on the matter as you, uh, as you stated there. The minister just said the D had a valid fire certificate so why then is it engaging with the chief fire officer in County Louth on the matter? Regarding the D Hotel specifically, following an offer of this property to the department, the standard appraisal of the offer was undertaken and a part of that was the provision of evidence of compliance with fire safety. That evidence was duly produced. The provider's, the, the, the provider's fire safety compliance expert has confirmed that the building's fire cert is fully compliant for the use of the hotel bedrooms. A letter which came into my possession and which I understand you have a copy of uh, from a firm of solicitors in Dublin from Hall Scotch on behalf of Hall Scotch Ventures who are the owners of the shopping centre to Fairkeep Limited who are the occupants of the D Hotel says among other things we refer to your letter that's the... Uh, the fair keep letter of the 20th of February, wherein you confirmed that your client was satisfied that her proposal was compliant with fire safety regulations. We instructed that our client contact Mr. Eamon Wolfe, 
Chief Fire Officer, Loud County Council, to whom we are copying this letter, who confirmed that he wrote and informed his client that a proposed change from a hotel to IPA accommodation requires an application to be made for a new fire safety certificate. Well then, if that's what should happen, is that what happened? Does the D Hotel have a valid fire certificate or not? Mr Wolf, the fire officer in Loud County Council, confirmed to the solicitor that as of lunchtime on Monday of this week, no response was received to his letter. No application had been lodged for a, for a, for the required sorry for a revised fire safety <coughs> certificate. Fergus O'Dowd simply refused to accept what the minister said, which was that when the contracts were signed between the Department of Integration and the D Hotel to house asylum seekers in the hotel for the next two years, that a valid fire certificate was shown to the department. So there it's clear, in black and white, you did not conform to your own regulations, you did not insist on full compliance with your regulations, and you signed a contract without a fire certificate, which is the cause and the reason for this concern. Now the facts are that the premises now is a huge controversy. And people like me, who fully support IPA applicants coming to town, who have no issue with it, know that the anger is based because, not because they're coming in, no consultation, and the other key point, no fire certification to date. That doesn't mean it's not going to follow, but it wasn't there when you signed. Therefore, the contract is null void. You've been asked to renegotiate that contract. Are you going to do that? And if not, why not? O'Dowd went on to imply that the Minister has policies in place that he's not implementing in practice. To me, Minister, uh, that you haven't denied what you said on the 12th of December, that the fire certification must be up to date. And once evidence of sign-off, now that's from the local authority to you, did your department get a sign-off before you signed the contract? because that's what you said you'd do in December, because in February it's quite clear that you did not get such a, a, a commitment and you signed off illegally in terms of not having your... Con- you can shake your head if you want. The fact is you didn't do it. You didn't do it. And as I speak, the Forest Cert hasn't issued. In the context of the, uh, of, of, of the, uh, of, of, of the D Hotel, again, Evidence of compliance with fire certification was provided to my department. We do not sign. We do not sign. We do not sign contracts without evidence of compliance with fire certification. Two completely contradictory statements. The minister saying that the D Hotel has a valid fire certificate. Fergus O'Dowd saying the D Hotel does not. Uh, O'Dowd went on then to put it to the Minister that people in Drogheda are angry with uh, the way that the Minister has gone about this. I think the key point about anger in Drogheda, because of your action, because of your lack of consultation, there was a crowd of, you know, Irish Freedom Party in our town tried to stir up trouble, as they did in other parts, and are doing. They had a rally in Drogheda. Nobody, nobody at that rally, when they asked, will somebody from Drogheda speak? Nobody did, because nobody supports them. I don't support them. People I speak for don't support them. But they don't support you in what you've done. Now, you say you're still open to discussion. Well, I believe that there is no contract there now. And if you need to still go in there uh, with, 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 with a shared facility, 
well, go ahead and do that. But you need to know that as you speak today in your department, there are over 220 places on offer to your department in different parts of Drogheda, different parts of Drogheda. And I believe they would more than meet the need that you will eventually have in that hotel. So I would say take up those other places. Leave the hotel to the people. Leave the hotel to tourism. Leave the hotel to business interests. But we do absolutely welcome and always have all of the people who come into our town. And finally, you have over 200 contracts signed since 2020, right? None of them have a cooling off period. So if you find somebody has erred, has made a mistake, or in this case, you've made a mistake, you, uh, there's no cooling off period. The contract stands regardless. Bad business, bad minister, bad government business. We want to be on Thank your side, you, not against you. You speak of a cooling off period, uh, I suppose, as if this is, uh, these are easy decisions that our departments are taking in a, in, a, in, a, in a normal time. We are again responding to a humanitarian crisis, again responding to imminent homelessness. We already have seen that we're unable to provide accommodation for over a thousand male applicants as of today and we are close to being in that situation with families and female applicants as well. So I wish I was in the position where I had cooling off periods in, in these situations, but I'm not in that position because I have a legal obligation to provide accommodation. I am failing in it, and the government is failing in it for a thousand people right now, Deputy, and you can shake your head on that, but that is the, that is the sad fact of it. So what about the 220 spaces that Fergusa O'Dowd says are available in Drogheda? Those are spaces that under government decisions can only be used by beneficiaries of temporary protection by Ukrainians. That's not true, they Minister. Are, th- that that with, isn't true. With respect, Deputy, that is true. No, they are your not department available. told me that wasn't the They case. are not available for, for use that isn't for international... They are not available for use for international protection. They are. Uh, uh, for, for international protection applicants. So they are on, on the um, bases within the refurbishment programme are only available to uh, beneficiaries of temporary protection. That's not true. That is true. That is you. not true. Uh, please, I, I think we have to accept what the Minister says. The Minister would not... If he's not that. telling the facts, I have uh, to challenge him on that. So the D Hotel has a fire certificate and is ready to house refugees. That's according to Minister Roderick O'Gorman. But will it be a dual-purpose hotel? Half of the rooms housing asylum seekers and the other half of the rooms in the hotel functioning as a normal hotel. With respect to the suggestion that the D Hotel would be used for both international protection applicants and paying guests, that proposal is still under consideration. No decision has been made. My officials have engaged with the hotel in terms of an understanding of the layout, in terms of the particular concern around child safety, in terms of use of shared uh, shared entrances, shared exits, shared lifts, shared um, shared um, stairs, uh, and, and that is that is uh, that is ongoing. There's a challenge, and I've said that to you there, but that engagement uh, is, uh, is is ongoing. Now there's just days to go, and this question over whether the D Hotel will continue to function as a normal hotel, in part at least, remains a challenge, as the Minister put it. Hardly ideal, I hear you say. You know, and I absolutely recognise the frustration in terms of the need to use this hotel. I recognise the people of Drogheda have welcomed many international protection applicants and many uh, Ukrainians over the last two years and indeed long before that as well. Uh, uh, And I absolutely recognise and and acknowledge that the vast majority of the anger on this is in terms of the removal of tourist beds. I understand it. 
all I can say as deputy is that I am left in the invidious position of securing accommodation or seeing people uh, left homeless. And I understand that's something that nobody in this house or indeed anywhere else wants either. The Minister for Integration, Roderick O'Gorman, responding to some strong criticism from Fine Gael TD for Louth and East Mead, Fergus O'Dowd. After the break, we'll be speaking to... Fergus O'Dowd. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. LMFM. Now, all gets uh, curiouser and curiouser, it has to be said. Uh, you've been listening uh, to that interaction in Dáil Éireann yesterday evening between uh, Fergus O'Dowd and Minister Roderick O'Gorman. Uh, Fergus O'Dowd saying the D Hotel doesn't have a fire certificate. Uh, he was saying that because of a solicitor's letter that was sent on behalf of Scotch Hall to the D Hotel stating as much uh, and indeed there were other issues in that letter that we'll come to in a moment but on the issue of the fire certificate as we mentioned earlier on we did ask the Chief Fire Officer Eamon Wolfe in County Louth to speak to us on the programme yesterday about that. He declined and said that discussions are ongoing uh, and that perhaps this will be solved in the coming days. Uh, but until that was the case, uh, he wasn't uh, prepared to do a, an interview as he didn't feel it was appropriate. Uh, we called the fire officer again this morning and Eamon Wolf uh, has exactly the same position. The discussions are ongoing and perhaps, hopefully, uh, the issue will be solved in, in the coming days. Now, this is very much at odds with what Minister O'Gorman told Fergus O'Dowd in the Dáil yesterday evening, which was that at the time the contracts were signed between the department and the hotel to house international protection applicants, there was a valid fire certificate in place. Uh, Fergus O'Dowd, we heard the Ceown Cora there uh, telling you uh, sure. that uh, you need to accept what the Minister has to say was in, in relation to a different issue, which we'll come to a, as well. Sure. Uh, but uh, do you accept what the Minister said? Or, or well, how I can both of you be right? Yeah, well, he's certainly not right because if there was such a certification, like, can I just clarify one point? The hotel itself has a proper an appropriate fire certification mm. as we speak. The issue is when it's changing for children and international mm. protection, there are different uh, criteria it's, applied. It's so, a different yeah, use, different function, yep. different purpose, needs a different type of fire certificate. Yes, exactly. Mm. And it doesn't have mm. that. And from what you're saying there this morning, it, it, it negotiations, sorry, negotiations are ongoing to get it. And I've no issue with that at all. But it isn't there now. And that's the point. Mm. And the minister uh, is entitled to his view, but like the facts are facts and views are views. But I think the key point is, uh, and I, if I, the reason I'm making this an issue is that if the contract has to be renegotiated, which I believe it must be, both parties must want to do that. Mm. And clearly the the, the language, or the, I think you had Paul Allen and other people on here, uh, they weren't keen to change any of the deal that has been done. Paul so, Allen being a spokesperson for the Yes, hotel. of course, sorry, yes, yes yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, he was speaking on their behalf. Yeah. So the question is, what pressure can I put on uh, both parties to ensure uh, that, that, that renegotiations uh, commence? Uh, and I think we're in that space now, and I welcome that. Mm. It isn't the answer, obviously, but it's part of the solution I would still much prefer 
that the hotel would remain as a hotel and that other locations in the Drogheda could indeed uh, you know, in, mm. in, include com- accommodation for, for people like that. Mm. Uh, so, so the issue then is, um, what have I done about it? Well, when I was told this news initially, I contacted the Taoiseach and I asked him to urgently meet with the Chamber of Commerce, uh, the Drogheda Bids Committee and also Drogheda Council. Mm. And that, that meeting is taking place on Monday and all of the TDs uh, in the area are invited to that meeting yeah. as well. So there's two meetings okay. with him. And I think that's pushing it on. And also, I just want but to make one further point yeah, yeah, yeah. that yeah. Helen McEntee yeah. has been very helpful as well okay. in relation yeah. to this mm. matter. OK, well, the Sorry. official date for the refugees moving in is Tuesday, isn't it? The 5th of March. Uh, that meeting with the Taoiseach uh, will be right up uh, to the line. The yeah. line yeah. Uh, uh, I'm not sure how much can change in that period of time, sure. but it's quite possible that people won't move in on Tuesday. Uh, in fact, the same Paul Allen, who you mentioned, who's the spokesperson for the hotel, told us that the first of the refugees will start arriving this Sunday. Uh, but can a fire certificate be put in place that quickly? Uh, we had a caller yesterday tell us uh, about their own experience or their brother's experience and they had to wait seven weeks to get a fire certificate. Yeah, well, I mean, I have a parliamentary question, Michael. You might have a copy of it there, the 12th of the 12th of 2023. That's just in December of last year. And there are 500 spaces in the country available to international protection uh, which have nobody in them at the, on that date because the forest certificate hadn't arrived. Mm. And uh, that is also true. So, look, okay, And we saw pictures uh, fact, of City West on television last night, rows yeah. of empty beds yeah. with a thousand people on the streets yes, who yeah. were being told there's nowhere for them to go, but yeah. there's all these empty beds yes, uh, yeah. available. Yeah, I want to be fair to the Minister mm. as well. He has a very difficult job. We've 120,000 people living in the country today that weren't here, uh, you know, two two years ago. So he has a very difficult task. I think he he needs to he needs to change his attitude in terms of communication. Uh, There are key people in our community who speak for that community. Mm. They're the they're the elected reps and and the councils. And I think he needs to negotiate uh, negotiate is the word to discuss Mm. and identify what they how they see the issues. And if he did that, he, we wouldn't have had this situation. Um, and the other point is, the minister is in power now for four years, and like he should have a, a proper plan in place. And the Irish Times today was talking about him at long last bringing forward a, pl- a proper plan on state-owned property with appropriate accommodation, prefabricated as it may be, and there's other things mentioned in that report. But that's what he should be doing. But he's fighting fires everywhere, literally, okay. for, yep. for want of a better well, word. I'm sure that's true. That's ambiguous. I, I, I'd like to yep. quote what we, we, something we just heard you say to the minister in the clips that we were listening to a, a moment ago. You said, bad business, yes. bad minister, yeah. bad government. Bad government action, yes, it yeah, is. I, yeah. I, I'm not sure. Uh, I thought about this uh, for some time last sure, night. I, I can't yeah. remember uh, a government backbench TD uh, be so critical in public of yeah, a government yeah. minister or the government of the day. Well, well I, mean, I mean, the point is, I'm elected to represent the people of Loud and East Me. That's my job. I'm a member of a political party and I'm a loyal supporter of the Taoiseach and I've always been. So there's no issue about my loyalty. But, I mean, you have to call it the way you see it. And if I see the biggest issue in Ireland at this moment in time 
and I think it's the lead in the paper again this mm. week. I mm. think it was mm. I'm not sure it was yesterday or the Independent. I think immigration is the biggest issue, mm. and what's what we need to make sure. I think the Independent reporting yeah, on sorry. a change in the Fianna Fáil strategy. Yeah, today. exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah but yeah. the point is, Going the point the is, we have to so. deal with that. Yeah. And if my criticism uh, shakes up the situation, I'm happy that I'm doing my job. I am totally in favour of supporting Ukrainians, as you know personally, and also international protection applicants. But the community must participate in that decision. They want to be part of it. They understand the issues. They understand the war. They understand Mm. international protection. They understand the problems with climate change. Uh, And there are solutions that are there. One is increase the number of safe countries. In other words, different European countries have different countries on their list. I think we should all have the same list Mm. so that therefore, no matter where you go in Europe, the list is the same. Mm. Uh, The second thing is that we need a state-funded separate organisation to house people. Mm. And that will take the pressure off hotels. Now, what happened in Ross Grey happened in Ross Grey. Um, you know, and, and some of the appalling acts that have happened, you know, we've had vandalism, we've had fires, we've had people, you know, people intimidated going into... I don't agree with any of that, obviously. So I think if we step back, get it right, even now, uh, I think my criticism is a good is a good indicator of, of what the public are feeling and it also hopefully will prod them into further and other action. Okay. But at the end of the day, Michael, uh, like you, I say what I think. Well, at the it end, might not uh, be uh, popular, but you better tell the truth. Uh, 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 at the end of this day, we'll be beginning Saturday. Uh, and I don't uh, mean to state the obvious unnecessarily, but here sure. we are on Friday morning. Yep. Uh, and uh, for close to two weeks, a week certainly at this stage, uh, it's over two weeks since this was announced, but uh, for uh, at least a week we've been hearing the proposal that instead of Drada losing all of its hotel, that it would only lose half of its hotel, that half of the hotel would be used for refugees and the other half would continue as a normal functioning everyday hotel. Here we are on Friday and we don't know if that's possible. We do know that two weeks ago, Roderick O'Gorman, the minister you were talking to earlier, said that that was impossible for child protection reasons. We know that since then, the Taoiseach said, no, it is possible. It happens in Dundalk, happens in Blanchardstown, and I want it to happen in Drogheda. We heard Simon Coveney say, I want it to happen in Drogheda. We heard uh, Roderick O'Gorman then say, uh, well, actually... I know I said it was impossible, but it is impossible. It is possible, and I wanted to happen in Drogheda, and now I'm actively pursuing that. Then it sounded to my ears that the same minister, Rodrigo Gorman, did another about turn last night speaking to you and seemed to be saying that it isn't possible for it to become a dual-purpose hotel. Well, I mean, the question is, uh, he is the minister... And he has pressure on him, and um, the the like. The, the the reality is, as I understand it, that the barrier that I that was that hasn't been removed was the, what the owner's approach is to it. And if they're relying on a contract... And that's not what the minister said. The minister no, I know, said, I know that, he, he yeah. said there's an issue with entrances yeah. and exits yeah. and sure, lifts yes. and different yeah. things and like there that. there are, that, obviously that there, there are. Was a, there was a physical yeah. barrier to separating the refugees from the hotel guests. That, that could well be the case. I'm not over mm. that technical detail. But the policy But that issue. means that if the minister is right, uh, yeah. and you have to do that in yeah. order to protect children, yeah. uh, then it's not going to happen. Well, Michael, that's... 
that's something I can't, I don't know what's going to happen, but I know what I want to happen. Mm. And if it can be done, it should be done. Uh, and, and I believe the will is there from but the government. But this is an awful mess, isn't it? I well, mean, I'm not, well, I mean, I mean Michael, well, it is, but, yes, but, of course it is. But just yeah. forget everything I said for a minute and just look at what the Minister sure. said. Uh, if we take it uh, in succession, started off impossible, then said possible, now is saying impossible. Yep. But you, the other local TDs, the local councillors, yep. the Taoiseach, other government ministers are saying, that's what we want to happen, make it yep. possible. Exactly. But look, I'll tell you, the person to ask those questions to is... Roderick himself, and I don't know if he's come on your radio no, yet, Michael. No, no, no. Well, I think no. he should. Well, why shouldn't yeah. he? Well, I don't know. He, well, mm, well, he yeah. should. I mean... I know you're a tough taskmaster, uh, well, but I, I, let's be honest. Well, it's not me. It's communicating. No, it's not you, it's Percy. The people Communication to the people. It's, it's, he yeah. should be on the show. Yeah, well, I mean, if the minister, if the minister, if the minister had respect for the concerns that the people yep. in Drod have, he would, he would yeah. come and speak to them on the local radio station and address those concerns. Of course he would, yeah. yeah. And I think he should. And I mean... There's a saying in politics, I think it was Roosevelt said it, if you can't stick the heat, get out of the kitchen. So this is part of the heat of decision making. Politics, you have to face up to decision. And I accept it was a hard mm. decision, but he should be coming on the radio. Do you believe that the minister should get out of the kitchen? Well, that's a matter for him, but we certainly, the temperature of the kitchen is going up. The heat is but, on. <laughs> but I mean, that's our job. I mean, that's, I have to do my job, Michael. Right. I believe I'm doing it. Mm. Criticism, I believe, is valid. Progress is right. also possible, mm. and I will most definitely push for now, that. Now, there's a, another obstacle that we learned about yesterday, and we mentioned it on the programme. Uh, uh, it it uh, raised its head in that letter that you, you were discussing uh, with the minister, solicitor's letter from, uh, or on behalf of uh, Scotch Hall, uh, the D Hotel's neighbour, the shopping centre. On behalf of Scotch Hall, to the hotel. Uh, that, that letter raised the issue of the fire certificate, but it also raises a, a potentially more significant uh, problem for the hotel. Uh, and in the letter, it says it appears that the hotel will have no assur- uh, insurance. Yeah, well, I read that, and it also says that the uh, it speaks about the, I think, on the first claim, it goes from 150,000. Now, I think it only said 150. It must be 150,000 to 5 million. But I think that's an issue, obviously, uh, for the hotel must have insurance wherever it gets it. So I'm not competent to talk on that, Michael, but you, you, you know, if you've read the letter and the public mm. may be aware of that, but I can't, it would be wrong of me to make a comment on it because mm. I don't know enough about it. No, but, but I, I don't, but, but, yeah, but, but it's in the letter. It's in the letter. It's in the letter. And I mean, let's put it a different way. I, I presume that the government couldn't put anybody into that hotel without a certification of insurance. I presume mm. that's one of the documents mm. it would have to have. Yep. And we sent a copy of that letter to the D Hotel, uh, which, by the way, said hadn't received okay. the letter uh, uh, and uh, has no comment to make on the contents of uh, that letter. Sure, well, that tells its own story then. But, like, it is a very serious issue. But, like, clearly, you have different insurance companies and uh, everybody's got... I presume everybody's got a choice. Mm. But uh, what is absolutely sure is that the government can't put anybody into any accommodation that mm. there isn't insurance. Ever, ever since it was announced that the D Hotel will become an accommodation centre, people in Drada have been saying, why the D Hotel? Why not that place there or that place there? Um, yeah. Why are they going to pay 
25 million euro over two years for to use a hotel that was bought a year ago for 11 million when there's all these places that are empty around the town uh, people would very well easily live in many of these places and they'd be very welcome and the town would continue to have a hotel um, this uh, turned out to be another issue of contention between you and the minister again yeah. last night. Right. You said that there were 220 spaces yes. lying idle, is it? Yeah, well, there's, there's one at the moment. Uh, I, I I just say the general area, I won't give the actual address, and the Dublin Road area for 60, uh, and that's for families. And what I was told at the time, as the other TDs were, that was for international protection applicants, they being females and children. And I, I welcome that and I had no problem with that. Other people raised objections in terms of planning. I didn't. Uh, so that's one. That's 60 beds. It's, it's being dealt with by the council at the moment. The other one is a place in the centre of town for 142 beds. And that an offer was made by the department to the owner of, of that property earlier this year. Uh, now, it was made for Ukrainians uh, and uh, it hasn't been confirmed as yet. Uh, the rumour in the town a couple of weeks ago was that it was 500, it's 142. There's another property in the centre of town on one of the main streets which has accommodation for 20 people. Uh, they offered it for Ukrainians. The letter of refusal from the department issued last Friday. I've seen the letter and I read it. And it says we have uh, adequate spaces for Ukrainians. And the letter then suggests to the person mm. who owns the property that they send it to the international protection section to deal with it. Mm. So there's 100, sorry, 142 plus 20 plus 60. Mm. Um, so there you are. That's 220 at least. Yeah. Mm. Now, when I mean, the minister said they're not available, that but, they are, uh, well, they can only be used yeah, for Ukrainian refugees. Yeah, but the problem seems to be now that there is a drop off in in the uh, availability. Sorry, there's less Ukrainians mm. looking for spaces now, and it's practical and realistic that those places would be used uh, for international protection applicants. I don't see why not. Mm. They're human beings. They're male and female, or children. You know, I, do, I, don't, I, I know there's differences to how they came here. Mm. There's differences how long they'll be here. Uh, they'll be demanding different types of services. But I, I think Drogheda has provision. The county itself, I think, has something 875 international protection applicants at the moment. Um, and that now go up to 1,300, whatever mm. the number mm. is. But, mm. like, we're more than willing. We are mm. playing our part, Michael. Yeah. But the, these, these properties are available. Mm. And if they were occupied mm. and they're ready to be occupied... Um, you know, they're actually they're actually ready to go. Mm, you know, yeah. so why mm, not? Yeah. You know, so I mean, why 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 is the government spending so much money on this? I, I can't. Well, we have to. You see, the problem is no, we but have, twenty-five million to. Sure, by, yeah, I don't know. I don't have to. You see, the detail of yeah. that mm. is is actually uh, and the, uh, and the hotel continues. Well, apparently the uh, going rate is seventy euro. I wrote out it is Michael. Yeah, no, but, I, I wrote but out. But I mean, the hotel continues to have uh, the hotel, the hotel restaurant, and the hotel bar. Yeah. Uh, and says that it will continue to make its function rooms available. So there are extra streams of revenue on Michael, top of the I, 25 yeah. billion. Uh, and the same hotel was bought a year ago for 11 million. Why did the government just not well, buy the hotel or buy these other buildings? That you're yeah, well, I mean, that, that certainly... I, I, I cannot mm. wasn't that decision-making. Yeah. But what I can say is I can't see the function room and the D personally mm. Mm. being available to anybody other than... Okay. Well, that's I want to wrap because, up. I want to wrap sorry, up oh, sorry, Michael, yeah. on that. Yeah, sure, of no, course. Yeah. Uh, just because there's a sure. lot of questions. What's going to happen now uh, is uh, the simplest way of putting it. Uh, or when is 
uh, something going to happen, if something is going to happen, because we've heard there's problems with the fire search, there's problems with uh, the insurance, according to a firm of solicitors who've written to the hotel. Sure. We don't know if that's true, obviously, but that, that there, there are potential obstacles uh, to uh, refugees arriving on Sunday or Tuesday or whenever. What do you think is going to happen? Will, the first will, it be, is, will it be a dual-purpose hotel or what will happen? Well, I believe it will be a dual-purpose hotel. I believe the wheel is there for it and obviously the support services will be there for it. I think that one question about the contract might begin on, cer- on a certain date, that doesn't mean that people will occupy it. In other words, if there isn't insurance in place, they can't go in. If there isn't all of us, if, if it isn't there, they can't go in. So in other words, it's not the hotel who decides who goes in or when they go in. It's the state will decide that. So that's in their hands. So they're not going to do anything untoward, in my view, in that respect. So I think there is time, but it's very, very short. And obviously, none of us want people sleeping on the streets and particularly uh, children and mothers. Absolutely not. But... You know, the fact is we have 220 spaces in Drogheda ready for occupation, owners willing to do that, an offer, clear offer on 142 of those. Michael, you know, time, sure to, time to wake up and smell the coffee. I'm sure there's plenty of buildings for sale as well. <laughs> Pardon? There are, and, and that's what the government are at now, because if you look oh. at the paper today, yeah. that's mm. what the plan is. Mm. And nobody has a problem with that. Mm. If you've a derelict or vacant yeah. or unoccupied, but why not have people in it? Mm. And that's, that's the answer. Okay. Not taking over our only hotel. All right. Well, it, it seems like a right old mess this morning uh, with so little time to go before is this is, is. Uh, yep. uh, meant uh, to be implemented. But look, thank you indeed for coming thank to you, us uh, this Thanks. morning and for joining us on the programme once again. That is Finnegal TD for Louth and East Meath, Fergus O'Dowd. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. LMFM. Now, yesterday uh, was a national slow down day. Not uh, that some people at least noticed. It, it certainly uh, the case with a number of motorists uh, who were detected speeding by Angorda Siakana. Some of the examples are just beyond belief. Somebody was found to be driving at 91 kilometres in a 50 kilometre zone. Uh, that was in Limerick. In Dublin, somebody was driving at 115 kilometres in an 80 kilometre zone. Uh, I think the highest speed recorded was in Kildare. Incredible to think that somebody was driving at 160 kilometres, not on a motorway, not that that would be good enough, but 160 kilometres in a 100 kilometre zone. Let's uh, hear a little bit more about this. Superintendent Liam Garrity of uh, the Garda Press Office joins us. And a very good morning to you, Liam. Thanks uh, for your time on the programme this morning. There are just some uh, examples out of what was it, 423 vehicles uh, you detected speeding over the course of 14 hours? Good morning, Michael, and good morning to your listeners. And I suppose at the start, we'll be remiss not to mention the current uh, road conditions that are out there at the moment, right across large areas of the northern end of the country. And I suppose the only advice we will have to people at the moment is plan your journey. Um, whatever the conditions might be in your local area, if you do have to do a distance of travelling today, please check what the conditions are in the area that you're heading to. And if you do, don't need to make that journey today, there are some really difficult road conditions out there and, and you may, may be better, if possible, to um, change your plans or, or, or delay your journey still a little bit later on. You, yes, yesterday was National Slowdown Day, which was an opportunity for us to talk about speeding on our roads. And that's the aim behind it. Like, we obviously are out detecting speed 
people speeding on our roads with our partners in GoSafe on a, on a daily basis. But the National Slowdown Days give us this opportunity maybe to have this bigger conversation or a more uh, wider conversation around speeding on our roads. And I know you mentioned some of the speed detections there. I can actually go a little bit better or oh, worse, worse is, is yeah. probably the, is, is the better description of it. We did have a driver yesterday in Waterford on the N25 driving at 170 kilometres per hour in a 100 kilometre zone. Mm-hmm. Um, that driver was arrested for dangerous driving, has been charged and will appear before the courts because um, that is just um, lunacy, I suppose, is the only way to describe that mm-hmm. type of speed, even on a full motorway, not to mention on a, in, in a national road or a 100 kilometre zone. And preliminary figures this morning are, as we've been able to include now, some of our own individual guarded detections that go onto our mobility devices over the course of 24 hours. We we're in excess of 900 drivers yesterday that were um, detected and have been issued or will be issued with fixed charge notices um, for speeding on our roads yesterday. Um, 900 drivers, so that that number is quite significant. Right, uh, uh, and of course. Uh the reason you do this is uh, to keep us all safe and well so that we don't end up in a crash, uh, that we don't end up injured or that we don't end up with life-changing injuries. Uh, so many people uh, are involved in road traffic collisions that you hear little or, or nothing about. You hear that people had non-fatal injuries, but they could be life-changing injuries where they're paraplegic uh, or, or something like that for the rest of their lives. Their lives are, are simply destroyed uh, and other people lose their lives. Uh, Just last month, 19 people, 19 lives lost on Irish roads. Uh, And of course, as I say, that's the uh, objective of clamping down on people speeding like this, because it is in itself the biggest killer of all, is it not? Speed is the biggest factor in any road traffic collision. So, and there's two elements to that. One is, you know, breaking the speed limit, travelling too too fast, and which is illegal in itself. And that's what slow down day and and speed detections and what we're doing on the roads and what our partners and GoSafe are doing on the roads. But there is also driving in at an appropriate speed. So it's not the right speed for the current traffic conditions, the vehicle conditions, the weather conditions as we see today. And the point around speed predominantly is if you do be unfortunate enough to have that traffic collision and nobody gets up in the morning and goes out to have a traffic collision or cause an accident, but they do happen, we know that. If you do have an accident, the speed that's involved in the accident is a huge contributory factor to the nature of the damage, the injuries and and the potential fatality that arises out of that. And you're right, Michael, there are so many families out there who grieving um, the, the deceased loved ones, fathers, sons, wives, brothers, um, but also so many families out there whose lives are changed thoroughly as a result of a serious road traffic collision with lifelong, life-changing injuries that affects the entire family uh, going forward and their tragic stories. And one of the main reasons that we can, you know, that we can solve this is by reducing our speeds. There are statistics which suggest that even just an average reduction of five kilometres per hour in the speed of the nation that we're all driving at um, can reduce fatalities by up to 30%. So that's- cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It's a significant change for a small change in driver behavior on our roads. Um, Mm. And again, it, it, well, well, well to put that into perspective, last month, six people wouldn't have died. Um, Potentially, yes. Uh, Potentially, mean, six families six could, could. Yeah. You know, and, and you know that, that that is a sobering thought for everybody. Just reducing their speed by five kilometres per hour, and that difference of five kilometres per hour will maybe only mean a difference of thirty seconds, a minute, maximum even two minutes on a journey wherever you're going. Mm. And it's certainly worth that that slight moderation behaviour. And that's not just you know complying with the speed limit because speed limit is not a target. Mm. It's the maximum speed limit on the road depending on the con- on the conditions. And the yeah. speed that you should be driving at is the appropriate one. And if we can all mm. even just reduce it by that five kilometres per hour, it gives us that extra second or two to react to something that's happening on the road and then potentially stop that collision in the first place. Or if we are unfortunate enough to have that collision, you know the con- Consequences are reduced because again we know that in a 30 kilometer or a pedestrian hit by a vehicle traveling at 30 kilometers per hour has a 90 percent chance of survival a pedestrian okay. hit at 60 kilometers per hour has a 90 percent chance that that will be a fatal road traffic collision for that pedestrian really so at those lower speeds well, in those urban areas you know we really need to be much more careful and slow down i'm sure you've heard people uh, say to you superintendent it's very difficult to stick to the speed limit in uh, the towns uh, and generally in urban areas the speed limit is 50 kilometres an hour. Uh, I, I know just the other day and not for the first time I, I was driving uh, at the maximum speed as you say uh, you should drive at a speed lower than the maximum speed so you should be driving at a speed lower than 50 kilometres an hour in a town and I was driving at 50 kilometres an hour and somebody overtook me. And as I say, that's not the first time. Uh, so they, I, we're doing 60, 70, maybe 80 kilometres an hour to carry out that manoeuvre. Uh, of course, I caught up with them at the next junction. Uh, but at that speed, in a town like that, if uh, uh, anybody, a child in particular, walks out in front of them, uh, you, you would say there's a 90% chance of that driver killing that person or that child. That's exactly what the statistics show, and I suppose the, the the key point of what you said there, Michael, was yes, that driver overtook you, and I'm sure they thought they had valid reasons, and they were in a rush, and they were busy, but they were at the next set of traffic lights, sitting in traffic in front of you, so they gained absolutely nothing, but they took that risk that something happens, that unknown circumstance happens, as you've mentioned there, somebody stepping off a footpath, um, but it even could be that you know it doesn't have to be a, a pedestrian stepping out in front of you. It could be that an animal, a dog, a ball comes out in front of you, and you 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 steer to avoid it, and then you lose control of the vehicle, and you, and then you're involved in a collision. Um, so particularly in those urban roads, urban areas, it would absolutely appeal to people to slow down. Mm. Um, you know the risks are too great for the small gain and the small advantage you make by increasing that. I always think when we're discussing road safety on the radio that people know 
the messages. Uh, they've heard it all before. Uh, they wouldn't have been able to pass their driving test, I- I'm sure, if they hadn't been taught the rules of the road and the importance of those rules. Uh, and if that's true, I-, I can never understand why it is that they drive at excessive speed. It, it, it's a good, good, good question. Um, yes, everybody, you know, if you if you if you drive in excess of the speed limit on your driving test, you will fail your driving test. It is quite as simple as that, and they are the sort of standards that you're expected to keep. And your driving license, it's a privilege to hold one, um, as opposed to a right. So therefore, you do need to pay attention to it. Um, in terms of road safety in Ireland, look, we have shown previously that we can do an awful lot better in this country. A number of years ago, as bad as the numbers were at um, 134 fatalities in 2018, and I think another 135 back in 2021, you know, and again, that's way too many road fatalities on, on our roads. But we have shown that we can reduce the amount of deaths in our roads, and that's because of a, a community-wide and a, 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 a cross-organisation-wide effort in everybody playing their little part. Mm. So the appeal for us is for drivers to slow down that little bit. Never drink and drive under the influence uh, drive or drive under the influence of drugs. And really, really importantly, seatbelt rates have increased significantly around the, around the country. Um, but if you're not wearing your seatbelt and then you are involved in a road traffic collision, the chances of you having a much far serious injury or being killed is far higher. The safety belt is there for a reason. The safety mm. belt works in conjunction with the airbags in the car, works mm. in conjunction with the ABS. They're not all separate systems. One complements the other. So sometimes people will say, well, I've got the airbags um, or whatever else, but it only work, the airbags only work in conjunction with the seatbelts and the seatbelt is really, really important have you for had everybody. That, have you had that discussion with people? I mean, really, have people argued I don't need a seatbelt because I have airbags? Yes, I, I've had this discussion. I actually used to be in, in, in a road policing unit myself when yeah. I was at a slightly lower rank um, as a gardener sergeant. And yes, I had that, that, had really? that discussion. Um, now, thankfully, even since I was doing that, you know, engineering and cars has improved. And now yeah. in a lot of cars, mm. okay, we have the annoying beep that people give out about. Some cars now, they actually won't even maybe go into gear mm. or, or, or move unless the seatbelts are in place. Mm. But the seatbelt is such a simple thing, but it is a life-saving device that's in the car. But the car is designed to work as one whole unit together. Mm. And if you take one component out of it, if you're not having the same life-saving capacity um, thing. So that's for the person inside in the car. Mm. But then you need to consider the vulnerable road user that's out, out on, on the road, the cyclist, the pedestrian, um, the, the, the people on scooters these days, other road, road users as well. As I said, mm. if, when you're involved in a collision, if it's a two-car collision and you're both driving at the speed limit of 50 kilometres per hour, it's a 100 kilometre per hour collision. Wow. Because it's the speed of both cars colliding together, and is that's it? where the impact and the damage is done. That, that really, you might as well drive into a wall at 100 kilometres as hit somebody exactly. else at 50. Yes. My God. Right. I never heard that argument uh, before about uh, the airbags. I, I just think that's beyond belief. Uh, but people do seem to have a, a, an aversion that uh, some people, uh, probably older drivers uh, or boy racers. I've heard stories of um, fellas cutting off uh, the connection to the seatbelt and putting it in to stop that beeping. Uh, but uh, there is, seems to be an aversion to seatbelts and <laughs> indicators for whatever reason. Uh, <laughs> and I think that, uh, to my mind uh, at least, it, it's a disrespect for other road users. Uh, you mentioned many of them, uh, but there's also passengers as well, and uh, drivers should think about their passengers. That, that's correct. Um, I think so far this year we've had two collisions. So there were single vehicle collisions 
um, two single vehicle collisions for five people um, w- w- were killed in, in, in those accidents. So that includes a, a large number of, of, of passengers. Mm. And again, we saw quite a number of high profile incidents last year um, where we had a, a large number of single vehicle incidents. So as a driver, yeah, responsibility is not just to yourself and the other road users, but also to your passengers. But passengers can also play a part in this. If you're not comfortable with the way somebody is driving the car that you're in, you need to speak up. You need to ask them to slow down. You need to, and if they're not listening to you, well, you, maybe you don't get into the car with them on the next occasion, or you ask them to stop and pull over, and, and, and you get out of the car. Everybody has a responsibility to try and keep our roads that little bit safer. And if everybody does their little bit, that means a lot is done. Um, so we're not asking for people to make huge changes. There are some safe, simple rules that are out there, and the rules are there to keep people safe on the road and make our roads safer. Because the reality is. For everybody in our society, the most dangerous thing anybody will do, despite people who are maybe in other extremely dangerous jobs, but the most dangerous thing any individual person will do every day is use the road, be that walking, cycling, driving, because there are vehicles that weigh a ton driving around beside you. And if they hit you or hit another vehicle, they're going to cause damage. So therefore, it is the most dangerous thing we do and we just need to take that little bit of time and the vast, vast majority of Irish drivers are very, very responsible on our roads. And that's why in Angara Chicago, we are more and more trying to concentrate and target those drivers who have the most risk behaviours on our roads okay. to try and, and uh, prosecute and deal with those drivers for the benefit of the vast majority of very, very compliant and responsible drivers. Okay, and perhaps uh, we should uh, conclude by reminding uh, our listeners about what you said at the outset, Superintendent, it's a rotten day out there. We should be driving to the conditions and we'll ask people to adjust to the terrible conditions that are facing drivers on the roads today. Thank you very much indeed uh, for joining us uh, this morning, Superintendent Liam Garrity, the Garda Press Officer. Now, there's a guy called Dylan Cody Coleman, who I wanted to mention today as well, because Dylan has become famous. He's in all of the papers, um, and indeed his photograph is in all of the papers. Uh, Unfortunately, we can say uh, with all certainty that Dylan will never be reported on again. Dylan is this 10-year-old boy uh, who has died. He died uh, on Wednesday. Uh, Following a road traffic collision, uh, his mother gave birth uh, to a baby boy the day before. 10-year-old boy who will not ever know his baby brother uh, who has lost his life. And I suppose that's uh, the reality of what the superintendent was warning us of. Or there's Ricky Devine, 19, who died last month on the roads in Sligo. So many young people's lives lost forever. Dara Dolly, 20, in Clonakilty in County Cork. Killian Kirwan, 19, in Kilkenny, died in a single vehicle crash. Katie Houlihan, 21 years of age, died in a single vehicle crash. Josh Deenan, 20, died in Kilkenny. A 15-year-old child, Leah O'Mara, died earlier this month. County Louth man Matthew Brennan died after he was struck by a lorry uh, on the 9th of uh, this month. There was Hannah Meshkat, just six years of age, in County Galway, in Knockcarra, youngest person to die last month uh, on the roads. And they say that P. 
people aged between 16 and 25 years of age are at risk more than any other age group. Food for thought. Anyway, if you want to comment on our programme today, our telephone number is 0419832000. Text or WhatsApp 0861800658. Email michael at lmfm.ie. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. I think we'll get to some of the comments. Thanks for your patience if uh, you have been in touch and you're still listening. Uh, a lot of people in touch with us uh, throughout uh, the morning this morning. Uh, Paddy and Terman Fecken uh, just texting a few minutes ago though to say, Michael, the answer to your question about why drivers won't heed warnings is we have to look at the dynamic of human nature. Life has to slow down and uh, the most extreme test of this is driving. Thank you, Paddy. As always, good to hear from you. Damien in touch with us too, saying great work by Fergus O'Dowd for his constituents. He's really on top of his brief, welcoming refugees and representing the people who voted for him. Hopefully he'll change his mind and stand again in the next general election. I don't think uh, that's going to happen. Um, uh, Somebody else uh, saying, will you stop? I drive a taxi and uh, there's refugees already in the D Hotel. We see it all the time, says uh, this caller. Yeah, but we do know that. Uh, We spoke uh, to some of uh, the residents not too long ago when we went into the heart of uh, Drogheda to ask, it was the day the D Hotel was announced uh, that it would become an accommodation centre and uh, we were asking people what they thought of it, that sort of thing. And uh, to my surprise, uh, somebody said, well, I'm living there at the moment uh, and uh, it was an international protection applicant. Uh, The difference here is that uh, the whole hotel is to be taken over in its entirety. That's according to the contract. Anyway, time will tell what will happen. Uh, Somebody else says, oh, doubt has some neck. He said nobody he speaks for supports uh, the National Freedom Party. Um, yeah, that's, that's, that's I don't. Why? Why do you think he has a neck? Nobody in Drogheda supports um, the National Freedom Party. It would seem. It would seem to be that nobody in Drogheda supports the National Freedom uh, Party um, because nobody from Drogheda went to their rally. I don't know if you heard the Taoiseach talking about it in the doll. The Taoiseach was saying that at the rally. Uh, people were asked uh, to speak if they were from Drada. They called from the podium for people who lived in Drada to come up and speak. I think initially it was uh, would uh, somebody uh, who is in business in Drada come up and speak. There was no reaction at all. And then they said, well, is there anybody from Drada here who will come up and speak? And there was no reaction at all. And then they said, well, would you come up and speak for 20 euro? Uh, and then I think it went to 30 euro um, I don't know if that was a joke or what but somebody got up uh, and spoke then and told a load of lies well started talking about people who were raping people and killing people and like the suggestion was that uh, the people moving into the D hotel were going to do the same thing for some reason I'm not sure uh, how anybody could have come to that conclusion or what hatred uh, there was in somebody to uh, suggest that. I don't know. But uh, it was clear, anyway, that nobody from Drogheda uh, went to the rally, and I suppose if they had any supporters in Drogheda, that they'd have gone to the rally. Stephen uh, in Drogheda wants to know what's happening with the Abbey Shopping Centre in Drogheda and uh, the permanent TSB bank that closed down on West Street some time ago. 
I don't know, Stephen. If somebody knows, uh, we'd be delighted if they told us. Uh, Mary says, Michael, you know why those uh, drivers are causing havoc on our roads? Uh, they won't be listening to your programme. They're in bed, sleeping it off after being up all night because they're driving in their cars, up and down the roads, having races. Young male drivers are causing a lot of the accidents, says Mary. Uh, another text uh, from somebody who says, uh, can you ask the superintendent why Gardaí will not have speed checks on the N52 at Balraff, just outside of Kells? It's a 60 kilometre zone. Uh, and I've spoken to the Gardaí, but we've been told it's too dangerous for them to police. People walk the road and they're putting their lives at risk. Thanks, uh, Stephen. We'll pass that on to the Garda Press Office. I'm sorry I didn't see it while we were talking to the superintendent. Uh, another text from somebody who says, you say it would cost $11 million to have bought it. I don't know. I think I heard. I'm sure I heard it was sold a year ago for $11 million. Um, and our caller says it's going to cost $25 million to have 500 people occupied over the two years the contract has been signed for. Uh, you'd need to find the actual cost to the government to accommodate those 500 people and add that to the 11 million euro it costs to purchase the hotel in the first place. Then, before the government can resell it, it would probably need a revamp, not just as simple as just buy it. And the people would still lose the hotel. That's a valid point, I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure. Uh, I, I don't know if um, the cost of uh, food and such like uh, I'm sure there's heating insurance as we heard earlier on uh, could go through the roof, could be as much as 5 million according to that letter that Fergus O'Dowd was talking about earlier uh, so there are undoubtedly significant costs on top of uh, the building itself but um, I'm sure that it is lucrative at the same time uh, because of the way it's being privatised. Uh, somebody else says, how many people are taking drugs when they're driving? Well, a lot. It would seem from what the Garda Commissioner had to say about it during the week, uh, as many people are driving, or drugs at least, he said, is as big a threat on our roads as people drinking and driving. Uh, somebody else says, who is in the West Court Hotel? I understand there's a lot of uh, Ukrainians there. Uh, Michael, you're getting 500 migrants, whether you like it or, or not. Now you know how other people felt, like people in Ross Cray. That's uh, from Tony and Navin. I don't think anybody's objecting to 500 people moving into Drogheda, Tony. Um, uh, I certainly don't uh, have... Uh, anything to say about it, but um, we heard Fergus O'Dell say there's already 900 in the town, 900 uh, people who are seeking refuge. Tom in touch saying, at last, Fergus says it like it is. The problem is with communication. If there was good communication, then there probably would be no or very little protests. Well, there's no protest really to talk of, Tom. I think 300 people tops turned up. Um, we'd uh, another text then uh, from... Uh, somebody else who says the government admits that thousands of migrants are arriving in Ireland with false or no passports. Can they tell us where did they all go if uh, they weren't deported as it is a standard practice elsewhere? Why weren't they? Uh, our caller says, I hope Roderick O'Gorman can update us uh, if he can be contacted. That's uh, from a Navin listener. Well, a lot of people come to the country, Navin listener, without passports uh, and you'd have to say good luck to you if uh, you were going into... Um, Afghanistani authorities looking to get your passport to get out of the country. Places are just ridiculous. We've no idea of 
uh, what life is like in some of these places. But the idea of going in and getting a passport is just not something that you can actually do in some countries and that is one of the reasons okay thank you indeed if you have been in touch if you've not as always we'd love to hear from you 0419832000 is our telephone number text or whatsapp 0861800658 email michael at lmfm.ie Michael Reed on LMFM. Well, if you were listening to us uh, yesterday, you'd have heard Ain Tu's Patrick O'Bean speaking uh, in the Dáil on Wednesday uh, about how time is running out for Tara Mines workers and that in four weeks from now, their income could be as low as 15 or 20 euro a, a week. Patrick O'Bean joins us now. And a very good morning to you and thank you indeed uh, for joining us uh, this morning. This is because in, in four weeks from now, it'll be nine months since the workers have been laid off, is it? Yeah, so basically the, the, the workers in, in Tara Mines uh, are, many of them would be on job seekers benefits, uh, which is not means tested, uh, which on the basis of their PRSI contributions, and they will have a typically up until about nine months. There would be a reassessment normally of people's um, uh, social welfare payments at that stage. And then uh, many will be forced to go on to Job Seekers Allowance, which is means tested, which means that um, many of them, if they have another income in the family, will be means tested on that basis, which could see their own income collapse uh, down to maybe about 10 or 15 euros. Or if they have savings. Or they have savings, mm. uh, exactly. So, mm. so what, what we're saying here is that you know we are nine months out now uh, from a closure, and what we're seeing is Leiden, I believe, act in a shocking manner. Um, when the closure was announced, Leiden said this, that the terms and conditions of the workers would be returned uh, when the workers return. And now it looks from the negotiations that are happening is that Leiden are seeking to actually take a wrecking ball to the terms and conditions. Of workers, and they're looking to have them come back on much lower terms and conditions uh, than they had previously. And in actual fact, they're looking to prioritise contract workers over uh, direct employees, uh, which would mean that they would reduce their exposure in terms of things like, you know, um, holiday pay, sick pay, Mm -hmm. pensions, etc. So, you know, it it seems Mm -hmm. to be a race to the bottom. Well, the Uh, trade unions have been asking publicly if uh, the closure of uh, the mine is strategic or if they're using the closure of uh, the mine strategically to uh, renegotiate the terms and conditions of the workers. Yeah, I I have no doubt that that is what's happening. They're looking to reset and reduce the terms and conditions of hundreds of Mead workers uh, over the next while. And I just want to send out a message to Tara Mines and to Belayden. The The ore that they're mining is an Irish natural resource. It is owned by the people of Ireland. They operate it on the basis of a license that's given to them by the government. They should not think that they can trade with the government and deal with the government business as usual as they reduce the, the rights, terms and conditions of Tara Mines workers. And I think that that message needs to be uh, heard loud and clear uh, by Belayden. And I would ask the government to make sure that they include those messages uh, when they negotiate uh, with them. My understanding is that the government are, you know, kind of sitting on their hands at the moment, waiting for Belayden to to name a date. Belayden are refusing to name a date for the return of workers, which leaves us in this limbo situation. But a limbo situation that is causing direct poverty uh, and damage to the incomes of hundreds of families 
uh, in County Mead, okay. and it can't be uh, yeah. allowed uh, to continue. Well, what do, you say to, what do you say to the workers? Uh, because we've heard a lot of the workers uh, have tried to get work for the time that they're laid off, uh, and they're allowed to do that, but nobody will take them on because they're Tara Mines workers, and the prospective employer is saying, you're, you're not going to stay here. You're obviously going to go back and work in the mine. So they're sitting at home. Uh, the clock is running out, as you say. Uh, four weeks from now, uh, they're on to means-tested welfare. Uh, that could mean uh, that there'd be little income uh, because of somebody else's income in the house, uh, which would mean an overall reduction in the household income of significant uh, amounts or they may get nothing because of of their savings and they've been offered voluntary redundancy. Um, Should they accept this? Because that's the pressure uh, and perhaps that's part of this strategy that the company has in place that people will feel compelled to take up on this offer of uh, redundancy, voluntary redundancy. What's your message to those workers? Yeah, well, first of all, you mentioned the the issue of of workers. You know, many workers have very specialised skills in tower mines that are not necessarily transferable. You're right that many uh, future employees are cautious about taking people on that they will lose potentially in three, six months' uh, time. Um, and you mentioned about the sitting at home element, and it's, it's, you know, I've been listening to stories from workers and workers' families recently, and it reminds me of the 1980s. It reminds me of, you know, that real human tragedy that exists when you know, men and women have no work and all the difficulties that that can create in a family situation, uh, etc. And all of those things are happening now, replicated dozens of times over in, in our county. And it's really very sad to see on a human level. And I've no doubt that this long-term closure now is strategically there to, uh, to shed workers um, to, to get people to think of a voluntary redundancy into the future. Um, Which has not no, been negotiated by the trade unions. Trade the trade unions, unions no, are, are very annoyed about this. Yeah, yeah, so basically they've gone over the heads of the trade unions and tried to reach out to individual workers themselves. And the debate that you, you, you played yesterday was, was basically a debate on trade unions and how important trade unions are. And I would just say to the workers that the work that SIP2, Unite and Connect are doing on behalf of workers there is absolutely key and pivotal. And when workers stick together, they will get better results in terms of, of their, their, their key demands. Um, but the message to the government and to Biden has to be that this can't be allowed to continue. This can't be allowed to go on, especially when families are reaching an income cliff just in a month's time. And it, they will fall off that income cliff with all of the negativity that that entails mm. uh, as well. Um, in many ways, the, the, the company is holding an income gun to the heads of these workers. And uh, many and of these people have worked for 10, 20, 30, 40 years, as uh, the case may be. A, a lot of long-term uh, employees there. I think I remember your unemployment used to last for two years. Definitely was for a year, up to not that long ago, before it was reduced to nine months. Is there anything that can be done for these workers? Well, for, there, there is. Um, you have to remember that the government have been talking for the last two years in relation to uh, making sure that the income cliff that exists when workers lose their jobs uh, is mediated uh, or is graduated. Um, so there's you know, big play by the likes of Heather Humphreys over the last number of years saying that this government is going to bring about a European-style process 
that if a person on a decent wage who's paid their PRSI, their insurance, and insurance has paid to help for these rainy day situations, that the government would make sure that the fall in income will be graduated over a period of time. And the trade unions and the likes of ourselves have been calling for the government to actually action that rather than just leave it as a, as a promise hanging in, hanging in the air. And I've seen nothing yet from the government to uh, give me any confidence that this is going to be put into place before the next election. And also the government can actually bring in systems in an emergency situation like they did in COVID to actually protect people's workers. So if they mean business in reality about this graduated income process, they could actually bring it in now for Tara Mines workers uh, instead of many unfortunately, will fall off that income cliff. Um, what I'm saying, to, but the, the, I think the message has to be heard here, that the government needs to start playing hardball. Tara Mines is applying for licences in terms of extraction, but also uh, in terms of putting planning permission for solar farms, uh, etc. So on one level, you have the state engaging with Tara Mines as if no, nothing is happening, that there's, there's no problem at all. And in the other level, we have this enormous labour uh, crisis uh, happening in our county. This is one of the biggest employers in the county. There's about 2,000 jobs reliant on, the, on this. This particular uh, uh, mine is of nat- national hmm. importance in terms of, of the economy. And uh, Yeah, well, the Tanisha go- said in the Dáil yesterday that it generates about 75 million euro in annual economic activity in the local community. That's a lot of money. Uh, but there isn't really a risk that the mine will close permanently, is there? It's more a question of when will it reopen and what will happen in between now and when it does reopen. Yeah, so, so what, what's happening in terms of international employment rights is there's this massive pressure by many, many companies to reduce the employment rights in the terms and conditions of workers because it leaves them more profitable. And there's a, a very famous saying, never waste a crisis. And what happens here is, I believe, we have an international company extracting an Irish national resource, which is using this crisis to reduce the terms and conditions and wages of staff here. And we have a a, a choice here as as a government, as a doll. Do we push back against that international trend in workers' rights, or do we stand up for the workers on it? We do want to see a profitable Biden. We want to see uh, a, a company that uh, uh, can actually exist into the next 20 and 30 years. But we also have responsibilities for the workers. Um, and that, those responsibilities for the workers are simply not being upheld by either Blyden or by the government at the moment. OK, we'll leave it there for the moment. Thank you very much for joining us today. That's Petr Tobin, into founder and leader and a TD for Me the West. We'll stay with Tara Mines, though, uh, because concerns uh, about uh, the jobs and the viability of uh, the mine I- itself uh, were raised in the Dáil yesterday by Sinn Féin TD, Darren O'Rourke. Honest, uh, when workers at Tara Mines were put on temporary layoff last July, the Taoiseach and various government ministers said everything would, would be done to support them and to get the mine opened as quickly as possible. 
Many of us at that time wondered what the employer's plan was, but that plan has now become clear. It's a plan to reduce costs and maximise profits by reducing the number of directly employed workers and their terms and conditions. It's also a plan to negotiate through the media. Trade unions, SIP2 Unite and Connect, are standing against that plan on behalf of their members, but they need government's support. We're told that Enterprise Ireland is liaising with the company on energy and productivity supports that could assist with a sustainable reopening. Will government ensure that those supports, if delivered, are conditional on the maintenance of high-quality local jobs and on this company engaging in a meaningful way with workers and the local community? Sinn Féin's Darren O'Rourke was putting that question to the Thánaiste, to Micheál Martin. The government and Enterprise Ireland um, have been officially, like the Tara Mines have been officially on board as a client company of Enterprise Ireland, so they are liaising with the company uh, on energy productivity supports that can assist with a sustainable um, reopening and the government is very committed to a sustainable uh, reopening because of the impact that Tara Mines has in the wider region there. I mean, it generates about 70 to 75 million in uh, annual economic activity in the local community. So this is very important. Uh, uh, and obviously, uh, we, and hopefully, I mean, zinc plays a critical role in enabling green technologies such as solar and wind. Demand for zinc is estimated to increase to 150% of 219 levels by 2035. So there is future for, for this. Okay, thank uh, you. Obviously, protecting workers, the Workplace Relations Quality Commission has been involved as well. Thank you. Deputy John Lahart. Okay, that's uh, where that ended up. Uh, the Thonshta Mihal Martin responding to Sinn Fein TD Darren O'Rourke. Michael Reed on LMFM. Okay, a couple of comments uh, coming to us. Uh, Frank says, Michael, the Minister for Justice, Helen McEntee, has said publicly that all immigrants have documentation, i.e. passports, when coming into uh, Ireland. Uh, It's not the case. I don't think she said that, Frank, uh, because it's not the case. Uh, We know of many people who've come to the country uh, who didn't have passports uh, and... It's because of a million reasons. Uh, we did another text from somebody who said, can you tell me how many people arrive here without a passport? If you arrived at Dublin Airport, uh, went to Dublin Airport, I think they mean, see if you could get a flight out without a passport. Of course I couldn't get a flight out without a passport. Um, how would I do that? Um, what happens is that people are coming from... But why does it matter? Why are people so hung up on this? Uh, can they not just accept the fact that people are fleeing dreadful situations and that they aren't legally entitled to be here uh, and that quite often uh, it's impossible to get a passport uh, and you might have a false passport and that might get you onto a plane in Paris and then you lose it because it wasn't your passport or it was a false passport. Uh, but that's what people do when they're desperate. And thank God, the great thing about it here is that if I go up to Dublin Airport... I'll have a passport because I can get a passport and I'll be able to go to, I don't know, I'd say every country in the world, bar North Korea perhaps, uh, I'd be allowed to go to every country in the world and there wouldn't be a problem. Nobody would stop me. I, I could go to live in any European country. I could go to any European country and claim the dole tomorrow. There's no problem. That's that's the way. Why are people so worried about uh, other people uh, when... They've been told very clearly that you're talking about vulnerable people. It's incredible what people spend time thinking about and then how that can lead to stories being made up, figments of imagination, where people take it upon themselves to spread lies. On Tuesday night, a crowd gathered outside Selbridge Manor 
That's where more than 100 people seeking asylum, children, women and men, live. And the crowd chanted, paedophiles out. Deport them now. Get them out. There were threats made to burn the building, where people live to burn the building down. Why? Because of a disgusting lie spread on social media by far-right agitators. The lie was that a seven-year-old girl had been raped in the hotel by three non-Irish men. First shared by a supporter of the Irish Freedom Party online and then amplified by far-right agitators and people were called to protest. It was a lie. These people do not care about the truth. They're happy to spread lies with the aim of deceiving people and the aim of whipping people up. Two weeks ago, Dr. Umar Al-Qadri, the chair of the Irish Muslim Council, was lured into a housing estate and beaten up in a racist assault. This is what a rise in the far right is going to look like. More arson attacks, more racist violence, more danger in our communities. That was Paul Murphy speaking in the Dáil yesterday. And speaking of arson attacks... So what have we dealt with over the last number of years, Minister? As has been said, going back to 2018, Cashmere and Moville County, Donegal, hunting siren seekers uh, proposed, burnt out. Shannon Key West Hotel on the Roscommon Leitrim border. Second fire, that was burnt. Second fire was set in the Shannon Key West a month later in February 2019. Later in the year, two fires were set over plans to accommodate asylum seekers in a 25-unit apartment complex in Ballinamore, County Leitrim. November 2022, because we had a bit of a break because of COVID. November 2022, Kill, Kill, the Equestrian Centre in County Kildare, which we proposed a location to house Ukrainian, Ukrainian refugees, set alight. January 2023, a fire was set at uh, Rothen House on Sherrard Street in, in, in Dublin. Violence escalated further in May. Tents belonging to homeless refugees at makeshift camp on... Se- By the way, Minister, it wasn't as if people weren't outside accommodation centres saying that the only solution to this was to burn them out. It wasn't as if people weren't saying this uh, on social media channels. It wasn't as if this wasn't being reported. It wasn't as if it wasn't flagged. Same month, two attacks linked to refugee housing in Bunkrana, County Donegal. Building in Ludden, Bunkrana, where a businessman was going to establish a centre for Ukrainian refugees, set on fire. Former Grail School Iriardon in Ballancolly, County Cork, targeted in, in July. This year's school building subjects of plans to be used for accommodating Ukrainian refugees. August, Ridge Hall, vacant building on the Shanganaha Road in Ballybrack, rumoured to be the subject for plans for housing asylum seekers set ablaze. This is an epidemic in any other language, in any other country. This is terrorism. Of course, your lasting legacy, Minister, will be the riots last November and burning buses. Holiday Inn Express, Colbrewer Street, set on fire because rioters thought that immigrants were inside. In Fingus, Petrol bomb was thrown into a premises earmarked for refugees, setting part of it on fire. December, the most recent December, former Great Southern Hotel, Rossler County, Wexford, being developed into a direct provision centre, was the victim of a suspected arson attack. Soon afterwards, Ross Lake Hotel, Galway, set alight. And we know what happened in Ring's End. This year, this year's convent on the main street, Lanesford County, Longford, 
set on fire in January. And we know about the St. Bridges nursing home uh, in British that also went up in flames. So we have a spate, a pattern of protests not being called out, roads being blocked, not being called out, public meetings, rhetoric, people using very violent language, not really being cracked down upon. Local representatives kind of turning up or not turning up or just playing both sides. And then everybody's surprised when the thing goes up in flames. Meanwhile, you have a completely dispirited morale on the floor, unprecedented resignations in Angarda Kona. And what do we get from you, Minister, this year in the light of all that? Well, clearly it's been successful. Because these protests and this anger and this violence has led to government representatives, yes, saying it's terrible and it's wrong and shouldn't happen, but changing your tone when it comes to immigration, changing it. So I am not going to come in here and tell you that you need to change the immigration system. Other people may do that, but I'm not going to do that. Because I'm not afraid of an immigrant. I'm afraid of the lunatic who wants to set something on fire. I'm afraid of the person who wants to block a road. I'm afraid of the person who thinks they can board a bus and check the passport of somebody who isn't white. I'm afraid of that person. And I don't want anybody that I love anywhere near that person. So it's a crossroads in this debate, Minister. And maybe we're unfortunate because it's an election year. That is probably why the reason you have so many councillors getting excited about it and so many government ministers kind of, ministers kind of changing their tone. But you'll have to uh, respect my view, Minister, that it is stunningly hypocritical of your party leader and Taoiseach, Lear Valker, to start talking about clamping down on illegal immigration while going over to the States and demanding that the US have a different regime for illegal Irish over Denver there. TD, Ayanna Reardon, God willing, we'll see you for our next programme on Monday morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning, bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie